Hi, Selgi. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, I have been, and I know I've told you this before we started recording, but I have been waiting to have you on the podcast for such a long time. Um, I'm personally really, really interested in reflectors. And I think I told you this as well, like I've grown up with a reflector friend uh, and we're each other's soundboards and we have been for over two decades. So, you know, experientially speaking, it's just one of the closest relationships I have. And I'm like really, really curious to learn more about uh, the reflector aura and everything else, like, because I do feel like there's not enough source material you guys which sucks and there's not enough like practical tools in general uh which is something that really needs to exist and I feel like this conversation is just it's waiting to be had and (laughs) the human design community is just waiting for this I'm so 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 excited to have you welcome well it's an honor to be here honestly and You know, I always try to remind people that I am just one version of a reflector. And honestly, I feel like profiles, like I'm a 5-1, you know, a 2-4 shows up very differently than a 5-1. So definitely go out and like find your reflector to learn from. But I am so excited to be here. (laughs) It was such a beautiful surprise to be asked. And I just, I can't wait. (laughs) We love a humble queen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. You know, because I truly recognize just the quality of what you share. And Mm. I am fully listening to everything that you're sharing on both your profiles. Um, And, you know, like, of course, you know, all reflectors are different. Like everyone, every single human being is different. Um. But, and yeah, you 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 don't really get to choose who you want to learn from. But yeah, yeah, you you use your authority, you get in touch with your authority, and and you choose the person to learn from. But I, from my personal opinion, and I am here to share some collective. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh, I just love the quality of everything that you share, and um, I'm just so excited to get into this conversation. So the way that I usually start is just by asking like when did you get into human design and you know what was it like for you um finding out you're a reflector did it make any sense did the strategy make any sense did the authority make any sense and yeah let's just start there let's just jump in um so I always say that you know some people come into human design and they're like oh I found myself And I went through about like four to six months of like rage, like deep rage when I found out I was a reflector. So I was initiated into human design the summer of 2020 by a friend who's a, um, she's an MG, 3-5 MG, but she's not deep in source like I am, love her to death. She's a good friend of mine, but she kind of started me on the path and then I went on the path by myself. Um, And when I found out I I was a reflector and it was like, you're different from everybody else. My response was like, no shit, Sherlock. Like I had spent my whole life feeling different. I had spent my whole life wondering why I felt and experienced things so much more deeply than everybody else around me did. And now it comes to find out it's because I was amplifying it. It was just simply that I was amplifying the emotion or the experience or the situation. 
Um, but it made me feel more lonely in a sense because I had spent my whole life trying to find out where I fit in. And, you know, another joke of my profile is I have the left angle cross of separation too. Like I'm actually not meant to fit in in any way. <laughs> so I was truly working against what my design is for 30 years of my life. And then I found human design and it was like, you're meant to spend a lot of time alone. You're meant to take 28 days to make a decision. You're meant to separate from others. And I was like, this is literal death. I don't want to do this. But in true first line fashion, my body was like, no, but we're going to. And so I spent a year, a year and a half about basically learning on my own. I didn't have, I didn't really understand what source material was. The way I was brought in was really in the pop HD space. So there wasn't a mention of raw. There wasn't, a, the words were changed, right? We were talking about manifesting variable or arrow and all of these things. Um, and the thing is in that year, I kept digging and digging and the, the words that I was finding in Pop HD, the community that I was finding in Pop HD didn't feel like it had depth to it. It didn't feel like the truth. And so, you know, first line just kept digging and digging. And then finally I met some reflectors. I well, actually, finally I came onto IG because at that point I had been solo in my experiment. I didn't know anybody in the real world. I had signed up for like a few programs that involved HD, but it wasn't anybody in my close community. And I got to this point where I was so frustrated and I still haven't hadn't tried strategy and authority yet. <laughs> I was like, I was just digging and researching, but I was like, I'm not gonna wait 28 days to make a decision. I was in um, a master's of business program. So it's like business, you have to make decisions in seconds <laughs> for, to tell me in that homogenized space that I need to wait 28 days to make a decision. It was not gonna fly. So I spent so much time by myself learning. And I also, at that time, happened to be living by myself. So I spent the first two years of my experiment learning and living by myself and really could decondition naturally, which is like rare. I feel like it's rare. Most people have families or are married or live with people. And so it's a process for them to do this. But I just happened to be alone anyways and was able to probably decondition in a faster way without realizing it because of that. And then I got frustrated. So in January of this year, 2022, I came online and I think one of my first posts was like, I'm so mad that there isn't enough information about reflectors. Like, I think that was literally the first thing that I said on Instagram. And from there, I just dove in. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it for real. And so I took an intensive six months of watching the moon, following the moon, going with the lunar authority to make decisions and and then I stepped, I was there for six months. I stepped back for six months and now we're back again. <laughs> so, you know, just changing whatever my G Center wants to do and is initiated toward. Yeah, there's so much that I want to like dig deep. <laughs> <into. laughs> um, the first thing, I'm very curious to understand what it feels like to be inside a reflector aura. It's mm. a sampling aura and it's a resistant aura, right? And so how would you sort of describe that? Like, how does that feel for you? And what have you kind of understood about it in the way that it interacts with other auras? Yeah. So there's a particular way that I like talk to myself, my internal dialogue on when I'm in other auras and what I'm experiencing. And it's that whatever I'm feeling in the moment isn't real. Now it's important to caveat that with, if you have feeling cognition, it probably is. <laughs> so don't take my word for it. But for me, I have need motivation and I have inner vision. So I am not an, an open, you know, an undefined solar plexus, not entirely open, but undefined. And so 
for me, I am not here to identify with my feelings and have that explain what's happening in the situation. I really talk to myself and I'm like, oh, you're feeling really heated right now. Look around the room. What's going on? Who's feeling uncomfortable? What's happening? Or what situation am I in that I feel uncomfortable? And to be honest, sometimes I don't even notice. You know, we talk about like close friends who help us soundboard. Courtney is mine. And we've been in social situations where she's like, are you okay? And I thought I was okay. And then suddenly that question made me realize that I'm not. Something is wrong in my body. I'm acting out or I'm uncomfortable or have anxiety, but I can't notice because in group settings in particular, there's so much coming into my aura that I I kind of lose sense of myself, so to speak. Um, But I think, you know, in this process, I'm now starting to engage and learn what it means to have the Teflon part of the aura. So for most of my experiment and my life, it's been overwhelmed because I attach to a feeling and I think that that's me and I feel overwhelmed and I hang on to it for longer than it needs to be. But I'm coming to find out, I've sought out in the last six months, I've sought out reflector mentors and teachers who are 15 years plus in their experiment. I'm talking with three of them. And it turns out that we actually have an active like muscle or tool that we can flex to improve the Teflonness of our aura. And nobody says that, like nobody, I've never heard that before. It took me two and a half years to find somebody 15 years or more into their experiment to be like, did you know that you can just like shut other people's auras out? And I was like, no, <laughs> thank you for telling me. <laughs> yeah, it used to me and I am deep into source material. Yeah. And so granted, this is not right. So we talked about how there's not information, not enough information in source material. So this is not source material. It's from reflectors who have been in their experiment, but um, I haven't shared this publicly. One of the people that I'm learning from is Darmen. So Darmen is like the OG reflector. He's like the reflector of the reflectors, the only one. Like he's the one of the only reflectors that Ra ever talked about being deconditioned. And he's the one who told me that. He's like, you have inner vision, just close your eyes and your aura is Teflon and you can filter out everybody else's auras around you. We can't do that with the planets because we're here to commune with the planets, but at least people next to us, things going on next to us, they, they don't have to affect you anymore. <laughs> I was like, I've spent 32 years of my life <laughs> feeling insane and you're telling me all I need to do is close my eyes and I'm fine (laughs) what does that even mean (laughs) that's really interesting so this is this has to do with cognition yes it has to do with your cognition so like someone with smell cognition like breathe through your mouth was like another example that they had of you know if you need to take a step back this is fascinating to me and how long (laughs) how long have you known this and have you been experimenting with it and have you noticed a difference I've been experimenting with it for a couple of months it's not long um and that's part of the reason why I haven't shared is because my first line doesn't have the foundation yet so like I'm not just going to drop a bomb and then have you know because it's not source and we know people get opinionated I'm not just going to have something spread that I don't have the foundation to provide the interesting thing that I found is I actually feel the Teflon aura more when I can control the sound. So I have low sound determination, which makes sense because it supports inner vision. So as long as I have a solid set of like um, noise canceling headphones or earplugs, then and then I close my eyes, then I feel much better. And I do feel like that Teflon aura. And because I travel so much, I'm in multiple airports multiple times a week. So that's when I've actually been experimenting with it the most is like when I'm on an airplane or when I'm in an airport, that was really when it was like, oh, this is real. Like I feel fine. I don't feel 
root center pressure or the stress from everyone running around or what's happening around me, I can just sit and be chill and be happy. And that was amazing. It's amazing. But it's only been a couple of months and I need multiple lunar cycles to test this out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm going to share this with my reflector friend and see yes. what happens <laughs> once he experiments with it. But this is really fascinating stuff. And, you know, I personally have the opinion from my understanding of everything that Ra did his best to share whatever he could share but it is on us to help the to help develop the knowledge further because you know he can as a manifester there's only so much he can say about reflectors and granted like there's a lot that he can say but at the same time it's not a reflector he's not a mental projector you know so I do find myself also wanting to refine certain things especially with the channel that I have 1762 it's like yeah I I am personally invested in naming things correctly because I want all the details to fit in with what we actually like, you know, name the thing or what the actual concept is. So um, I think this is cool. And I think this is our work for people who are in human design. Now, this is our work. It's like, yeah, we have source knowledge, but also it's on us to make it sharper, clearer, develop it more and do more research so that we can actually like, you know, have more tangible, you know, facts. And and again, this I'm speaking like such a logical collective circuit. <laughs> Which I love. I mean, this is this is what I'm here for. My first line is like, yes, let's make that foundation. Let's yeah. give it to them. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, you gotta have that in place in order for you to really make the difference on a large scale, which again I'm invested in as a collective mental projector. And I know you're invested in because you're a reflector, right? Uh, but going back to the Teflon aura, because I, I still want to hear more. I'm very fascinated by what you just shared. Um, so you definitely feel, you know, that Teflon quality coming on more and more. Um, but yeah, there is this sensitivity, you know, the sampling nature of the aura is very much there and it does take things in. How much time does it take you to sort of like is there a fixed time when it when it releases like is it longer in certain situations like I'm really curious about that yeah so going off of Darman's premise right what he is teaching me is that there doesn't need to be a certain amount of time and I think part of that comes with learning to trust ourselves right so there are situations where I could walk into a room and know that it's not correct but my not self takes control and it's like, no, no, but you need to stay here. You need to be open. You need to experience, you need to sample. If I were listening to myself right away in those five minutes, I'd be like, oh, I'm leaving or I'm gonna put my headphones on or I'm gonna disengage in some way. So we could do it, you know, as soon as we touch auras with someone and we're like, you're not the person for me, I'm gonna shut off, walk away. Um, but, you know, it takes a while to get there. It takes a while to trust your body and it takes a while to figure out how it works for each individual person, right? Like my version of Teflon aura might be different than everybody else's. And I think, you know, it also feels like Teflon is such a strong word right now, as I think about it, it's sort of like, you can never penetrate me again. And I think that's what Darman is saying is like, for people, when I shut down my aura, you're not allowed back in. But I am maybe like a gentler soul. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a better word. I don't have one that comes to mind, but for me, it's more of like, I can sit next to somebody peacefully and I don't need to be affected by whatever they're putting out. 
versus like you're just shut off and you're dead to me but maybe some people need to be I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, the term that I use with my friend is really funny I just be like you're non-stick you know <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. He, he's like, yeah, that, that works. That actually works for me. So well, and I mean, to your point about nonstick, like it really is true when you think about reflectors going for, to different people or environments and we pick up in that environment what it is. And the moment we enter a new one, it's we're picking up the next thing. Right. It really we it's not to say that we can't carry it because if we identify with an emotion, we can carry that through to the rest of the environments that we go to. But if you are truly neutral, it is, you just leave and there's nothing left and then you go experience the next one. And it's, it's nice. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of different elements in your chart can, can, you know, add something extra to that. For example, you're a five one. And so maybe, you know, strangers auras kind of speak to you a bit more my friend is a 4-1 and so you know like he's if he's affected by his network a lot more and those are the things that kind of end up staying longer than than yes. others but that's very yeah, I mean yeah to that point if something rocks my foundation it's really really hard it takes a really long time for me to move past it um so yeah I think that makes sense <laughs> yeah and just to speak about like the reflector type a little bit more you know reflectors are and correct me you know if if you find that I'm saying something that doesn't really sit well uh with you because I'm speaking from my understanding but this is what I understand yeah. is the reflectors are really here to be in the group but at the same time it's not and they're here to sample the group but ultimately like you said they're here to commune with the transit field right that is what moves the reflector and you know essentially they're like god's child in that sense and for me god is like the planets right that's what i refer to you know they're kind of you know in in touch with the bigger plan the bigger picture and again the reason that they're here and they're moving through groups in this world is to just see who's different and who's not right yeah. and you know the difference is what brings the surprise to the reflector right so um I'm curious to hear a little bit more on like your relationship with the transit field and you know how does that differ from like the experience that you have sampling people's aura versus yeah you know, the transit field impacting you and the, how does that feel in your system? Can you differentiate between the two? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, at this point, I can. So for me, the transits, um, I can't think of another word at the moment, but they feel muted to me. They're there. They're always there in the background, but they don't have the level of intensity that people's auras will, right? So it's not to say that people's auras are stronger, but I think because it's more tangible, because you can sit and look at someone, you can touch them, there's this still this sense of reality to it, whereas the transits are always in the background happening. What I've noticed with the transits is that I, I actually tend to do the opposite of what the transits want, you know, are trying to influence us to do. And that's not a bad thing, but I think it goes with if I, if my inner dialogue is always like, wait 10 hours, your your experience is gonna change, your thought is gonna change, your emotion is gonna change. 
that means that when the 8-1 turns on, like I just, I clearly remember, I think it was the first time I noticed it, that 8-1 was turned on um, in the sun, I think with the transits and I have, I have gate one. So gate eight was turned on and all of these people were suddenly outputting creative things and sharing stories and doing all this stuff. My voice was silent that week. Like I watched these people sharing and talking about having the gate, the eight one turned down and how it was influencing their creative output. And I was sitting there like a fool because I was like, y'all, I feel nothing. I don't want to say anything. I don't want to do anything. And I think that is part of the deconditioning process. It's like, there is this influence. I feel this push. I feel this movement in the collective, but that doesn't mean that I have to act on it. It doesn't mean that it's meant for me to take action in that moment. And that's really the the goal of a reflector is to see, look out and see and be like, oh, I, I, I will know that I am like fully in my process when I can look out and see someone interacting or acting out and being like, oh, you're eight one right now. I see this in you and just recognize it. Don't have to do anything with it. I don't need to have an opinion on it. Um, but at least for my first line foundation and my inner vision, that's what I see to your point as a, as a reflector is looking at the crowd and being like, who is being themselves and who is acting out the transits because they're not meant to, you know, it's, I've had conversations with other reflectors to help them understand, like, you are not meant to reflect the transits and get other people to act out the transits. You're actually looking for the people who are different and not acting it out and acting like themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a fascinating role to play in the larger scheme of things. Like to me, that is so cool. You know, it's like being able to see like the bigger picture, but also like being able to like spot, like, like you said, being like one leg in humanity and one leg, you know, just completely somewhere else. And, you know, I'm really curious and you mentioned it a little bit, but like, what was your experience as a child like did you feel really and I know you probably did all of us that are in design probably right. felt like outcasts anyway yeah. which is why we reached here uh, in the first place but you know what was your childhood experience like and I know that you have a family of primarily generators yes. am I getting that right yeah yeah and you know what was that like and you know what were your reflections on on growing up in in a in a space like that yeah so from what i've deduced my mom is a four six sacral generator and my dad and my brother are both emotional mgs um and i think for me families are families and so i grew up around unhealthy emotional solar plexus and i feel like that just you know even before human design I would go into therapy and be like, okay, we need to deal with how I react to emotions because it's not healthy. Like I already knew inherently that it wasn't who I wanted to be or how I wanted to be or how I wanted to present to other people. Um, but finally with human design, it, it had the language to do it. And I think it's interesting looking back now because when I, let's say from like 12 to probably 24, I was heavily into rock music and I mean loud rock music like it wasn't like the Eagles it was like punk rock and screamo and like heavy metal and how fascinating to think that my correct determination is low sound but I surrounded myself in high sound environments and it was strictly because I was feeling so much in my body that the only way I knew how to not be overwhelmed was to have high sound around me all the time to have so much going on to have so much sound that it distracted me and it gave me something else to focus on um, and that's not to say anything is wrong with you know my family but it's just my experience of growing up in this penta and 
in the world that we live in now and all of these things. And I think I, even just today, I was actually, I'm finally starting to like have the desire to create posts again. And I was writing a post about just the G center and the fact that my whole life I've been seeking out other identities to attach to because I didn't want to feel lost. You know, it was always like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where I'm supposed to go. So this is somebody's cool idea. I'm going to jump on board and do what I can and try to make it my own. But there would always be a sense of disappointment because it's not my goal. It's not my dream. It's not my purpose. And so there would always be not necessarily a fiery end, but there would be an end to it. And there would be the disappointment and that sense of loss again, of not having an identity or somebody to follow. And so it's, it's been interesting learning to confront those emotions and those fears of like, what is my identity or who am I? And just having to sit with them in the process of deconditioning and be like, nobody knows, like literally nobody knows. And even with, you know, these terms of like the left angle cross of separation in five one, nobody still knows what that means for me individually. Nobody will understand. And so there's a different level of what I'm terming, lo terming loneliness that you have to go through when you're like, oh, it's really just me. <laughs> and then on the other side of the loneliness is like true nine-centered communication and correction and connection because there's no, there's no striving or like obsessive desire anymore to be enmeshed with another. Yeah, it's really healthy, you know, to to reach this place where you can actually, and I, I completely agree, like, I, in some sense, have been lonely pretty much all my life, you know, um, and again, to cope, you know, codependency was the natural uh, thing to do. And I was pretty much very codependent. And for someone like my aura, like, I just absorbed the shit out of the other person. Yeah. I just become them you know it's not even it's it's not something that it's deep like the conditioning goes really really deep and if you don't know that it's not you and you know you don't know that the mental stories you have about everything that you're experiencing are not really true for you they don't have to be uh you know you can go really deep and I, I really did and I, I went through like a lot of like being so close and yet nobody really knowing me and nobody really even having a sense of who I really was and fair enough you know because like you have to get to know yourself first before you can you can form those relationships where that can happen and even then even now being in design and like really having the the possibility of communion with so many people it's just still it's just you and you you know it's it's you in 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 your little maya which keeps changing and you know it's just it's still lonely so I get that but yeah on the other side there is communion and it's 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 you just have to hold it together and you just have to be comfortable with that there are still days when you're like I'm recognized by so many people, but, you know, they still don't get this about me or they still don't get that about me or, you know, like people see me, but they don't fully see me, right? Yes. And especially for you as a 5-1, like I'm curious to talk about that. Um, you know, you have this projection field that people project on and then, you know, they assume all sorts of things and with anybody with a five in their profile, it, it can really, it can be even more lonely, you know, because it's like, you're projecting onto me all of these things, but who am I, you know? 
So I'm I'm wondering like what your experience with the projection field is like and what was it like when you found out about it? Yeah, when I, so it's interesting thinking about also, you know, the trajectory of life and thinking about the nodes because in my nodes, you know, I'm not going to remember exactly, but up until um, my Saturn return, my nodes were really focused on being, being the administrator. And that's really what I found is my fifth line reputation was really tied to the fact that I could walk into any group situation and organize it in a way that it worked. I could structure it. I could, you know, it would, I would be like, give me your Google drive. That is a disaster. And I will fix it for you in an hour. This is super easy. And so it was, it was nice in the sense of my five really had a reputation to fall back on that. Like, if you need to get shit done, you can come to Sally and she'll, she'll do it. And people really picked up on that and took that and ran with it. Um, but I think there was always a sense of, but I'm faking it, right? Like the fifth line reputation, do I have the first line foundation to do it? And when I didn't have the first line foundation, it was obvious things would not work out very quickly. I would get in trouble very quickly. But I also think that being, you know, we're talking about design, but we also, I always like keep in mind the context that people grow up in, right? So being a woman, being a woman of color, with a direct form of communication who is here to be a heretic, I would get very intense critiques for most of my particularly young adult professional life when it would come to like annual reviews or when it would come to peer feedback. It would always be people loved me or they really hated me and really had it out for me. Um, and I think that's where that projection really started to come into place. When you're younger, it's, you get the excuse of, oh, you're young, you know, you're a kid, they'll learn when they grow up. But when you're an adult, it can be, it can be vicious. It can be really intense out there. And so I've learned what I've learned and thankfully, and I think it talks about this in source material as well, but you really have to experience it first when it is a incorrect projection. Like when someone is accusing me of something that I had no part of or it's not a part of my character whatsoever. They can't burn me. It might be like, that sucks to like know that you really can't see me and will probably never see me. Like there's a hurt in that, but it's not the same as when I think I have a foundation and somebody breaks that foundation and then I feel like I fall apart. It's totally different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And, you know, like the not self heretic is going to probably be burnt at the stake and it's going to have a lot of trauma from that experience and is probably never going to come out to share any message at all but for someone who is actually in their strategy and authority and living their design like you said you can't be burnt at the stake and you know I don't have I mean I have a few um, fifth lines but I am motivated by guilt and I have judgment sense so Yes. So, um, I, I'm quite heretical myself. <laughs> yes. I, yes. You know, I'm like a, a second line. So it's like nice and hopeful on the top. But like, as soon as you meet me, I'm like, Deep down, it's like get ready. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm like, let, let me sing you with this truth and that truth. And this is what you can fix. And this is what's practical. And, you know, um, I have also found that it's, it's, it's quite a responsibility to to be a heretic because a lot of the times, you know, you, at least for me, the way that I see it, my guilt motivation, and it can come across as like really harsh too, especially because it's got like judgment sense underneath is just like really piercing. But 
it can it it comes across as like me being super critical or me seeing all of these things that are wrong and yes that's true but underneath that is love underneath that is it's coming from a deep place of I care about this and that is why I want to fix this and that is why I'm paying attention to you especially as I have deconditioned more and more and more like I'm not handing out my attention just for anyone you know you really got to recognize me and you really got to invite me and call me out but even then even when that happens and I I am myself I have found that oftentimes you know the end result doesn't always you know like nobody nobody's not self is happy to hear your heresy nobody's not self is happy to be like yeah okay awesome this is gonna change my life the not self is like I thought I was doing great, you know, I thought I was like rocking it and here you are just, you know, like shattering the illusion in front of my face. And so I really do think that all heretics have a big responsibility uh, on their shoulder. And I feel the, I feel the heaviness of that sometimes, sometimes too. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting putting all the like different pieces of a profile together because I know like the next, one of the next biggest crazes is learning about gate 10 and we're in gate 10 right now, which is wonderful. And I have 10.3 conscious and 10.4 unconscious. And so Jen Zarder was sharing, she always shares wonderful quotes from Ra, but she was sharing about the 10.3 today, um, the sun in particular, not the moon. I know I follow the moon, but the sun is in 10.3. <laughs> um, and it's interesting thinking that my design earth is an oppression, like the keynote is oppression, it's gate um sorry, my design sun is oppression, which is gate 47, which is in the Ajna. Then I have 10.3, which is really about in the behavior sense, like people challenging actions, like people making you a martyr out of an action. And then I have a fifth line personality. So something that I've really had to grapple with is like similar with, you know, how not the same experience of judgment sense and guilt, but it's like my voice will always come from thinking about what is oppressing people and not even consciously, it's just what I'm noticing. It's what is in my incarnation cross. It's what I'm here to think about and process. And then my actions might be the thing that sets people off more than my words. And it was interesting when all of that came together for me, because it was like, I think when people, when a lot of people meet me, it feels safe, it feels comfortable, but then I take an action that's natural to me and they're shocked and they're like, why would you do that? Like, why would you tell people the truth in that way? Or why would you cut people off or do these things? And it's like, I can't act any differently when I'm supposed to be myself, right? And so there is this sense of heaviness to it. And yet when I've found that when you accept that that's just who you are and screw everybody else, there is a sense of empowerment to it. There is a sense of my voice will have a taste of oppression in almost everything that I share. You're either here for it or you're not. And the heresy is you're not going to like it. No matter how I put this, you are not going to like it. So get over it. <laughs> like It's just too bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I <laughs> Yeah, I I really agree. And, you know, to just add to that a little bit more, like it's it's not only like I can't be anything but myself, but I've got a purpose to fulfill here. You know, you know, I've got a role to play here. And I really feel that in my like deep in my cells and in my bones, you know, like I'm not going to like just because it's not received well, I'm not going to keep my message to myself. I'm not going to 
hold back what I can so very obviously see. And of course, this is where, you know, like the strategy comes into play. Like, obviously, you I wait for the recognition. You wait, you know, for the lunar cycle to really, really have that confrontation in that way. But, you know, it's really important for us heretics to be empowered in ourselves. And because it's it's no joke, like we really are here for a reason and we do have a purpose and it is to help people out it is to fix things it is to share truths it is to share your practical wisdom it is to share your heresy and you know it's okay that it's not received super well it's just something that we have to learn to swallow and it is something that you just I feel like I'm getting like I'm getting better and better at just you know not needing to be like yeah so you know you can if you don't like it like go somewhere it's fine I know you're not gonna I'm already expecting that you're not going to like it and so you know like whatever reaction that you have right now that's fine but I know that like a few months down the line or a year down the line like you're gonna come back and you'll be like yeah you're the one who told me the truth and you actually offered me practical solutions that actually changed and mutated my life so you know, yeah. that's, I, I'm here for the long, for the long thing, yeah. you know, like the long-term result of this. I'm not here to like feel loved on all the time. That's not what heretics are for. Right. And we, it's truly the messenger when we can, as a society, start to separate the message from maybe the person who's supposed to teach it or the person who's supposed to like have all the answers and be the warm, soft place to land, that will be a huge win for all fifth lines, heretics, wherever it is in your chart, because you're just here to share a message. That's it. And somebody else is supposed to pick up the reins from there. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so true. You know, like to ask any heretic, like it just doesn't feel like it just, it comes through you. It comes, it comes from, at least for me, the way that I experience it, it just comes from somewhere really deep and it's not conscious. Like it's not something that I, even though I, I am motivated by it and it's on the it's on my personality side, right? In judgment sense. But it's, again, it's not something that I'm sitting and contemplating. It's just how my right. mind is designed to be. And it's not something that I'm planning and plotting for. It's substructure. It's, not, it's nothing that I have access to that I can manipulate or change, you know, really. So it, it is coming from this really deep place. And so I love that you said that to separate the message from the messenger and to actually pay attention to the message and see if it fits, you know, see if the shoe fits, see if, you know, it triggers something in you. So I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> um, and I want to like, I know we can, we're going into all of these interesting topics, but I want to go back to the okay. beginning. Yes. Yeah, just a little bit because I just I want to hear more about the reflector type and like bring more awareness with with regards to that. But what I want to talk about is the signature of surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to hear also about disappointment. You yeah. know, what is that? When do you experience disappointment? Have you experienced disappointment more than surprise? And I probably know the answer to these, <laughs> but I still want to hear from, from your perspective. And, you know, what does true surprise feel like for you? Yeah, so I, this is going to be a surprise for probably everyone. Um, I have found 
where I'm at, basically once I went through the loneliness and realization that I was on my own, I found that I can tap into surprise whenever I want. It's like this warm, fuzzy feeling that sits in the center of my body. And even if I'm having the worst day, I can sit there in a vision, I can close my eyes and I can just be like, find that spot in my body and I feel surprised. It doesn't mean it fixes anything, but it, as a reflector, I, there's, and as a first line, there is so much in the world to explore that it, it might just be like a first line exper experience of like, whenever I want to, I can just close my eyes and remember that there's a fish that's called like a blobfish out in the world. And there are whales and there are people doing good things and there are children being born. Like I can, especially as like right variables, right? We hold the capacity to hold so much information that we don't even know that now at this point, on my worst days and on my best days, I can find surprise in my body and I can just sit in that experience, which is not something that, again, has ever really been talked about or I saw, right? A surprise is something that by default is like, it's a surprise, it just happens. And like, nope, I hold it in my body. Like the more I go down my individual path, I found it and it's mine and nobody can take it from me. Disappointment I have found is very directly connected to my interactions with people, you know? So it's the, the unfortunate thing, right? Is like the people that you love the most are the ones that know your triggers are the ones that know how to annoy you the most. And so I've experienced consciously in my experiment, the most disappointment from like family or friends that are closest to me. And what I find it's in, it's more often than not connected to an expectation that I wanted or an expectation that I had that didn't come true in the other person. So like a really good example is I had a goal, funny, strategic, this was a long time ago, but I had a goal that my partner and I were going to go hiking every Saturday. Like that's just what we were going to do. It was going to keep us healthy. We were going to get outside. Reflectors need a lot of nature interaction, maybe not in nature, but looking at nature, like knowing where it is. Um, and multiple weekends in a row, my partner just didn't want to. He bailed. And there was such a sense of disappointment one day when we got in an argument about it because I was like, I asked you one thing. I asked if we could go for a walk. And you, last night you said yes. And this morning you said no. And there's such a deep sense of disappointment. But in reality, I could still go by myself, right? Like my experience of life is not dependent on this other person. And so I found that disappointment is the most visceral when my expectations dictate consciously or unconsciously that my experience is dependent on somebody else. If I take that away, disappointment isn't as accessible because I'm not relying on somebody else. There is no codependency. There is no enmeshment. There is no hoping that somebody else can save me or guide me or do something. It's just, it's just not there. When people act out, that's not to say that I'm not disappointed that they're acting out, but it's not a full body feeling. It's just, again, like, you're acting silly out there I'm not surprised like it's a general like more relatable form of disappointment but when I felt disappointment in my body for that first real time it was the opposite of that warm fuzzy feeling it was like a black hole to me like it really physically hurt my body and it was like almost in tears and it was a full body experience of disappointment and then again the opposite like full body experience of surprise is you get the tingles and it feels good and you're just glowing inside and it's wonderful but I didn't realize until I went through this period of grief of being different and not being able to go back, you know, not being able to undo the experiment. That surprise for me is there whenever I want it to be there. It's not dependent on anybody. I just get to have it. And that's such a beautiful gift to have as a reflector when we really have nothing else that we can 
fix ourselves on beyond the moon, right? And the moon is so external, so it's nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. That's such a unique share. I don't think I've anyone I've heard anyone describe it like that. Just so <laughs> lovely. Um, maybe this is like a morbid <laughs> question. Ask, ask away. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> you know, for me, I. I really want to hear from reflectors more about like larger groups, larger communities, um, humanity in general. And so do you feel disappointed in humanity? Do you feel yes. disappointed in the human design community? I mean, <laughs> I just, I just really want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, in terms of what I was saying before about disappointment, I experienced a couple of months of very deep disappointment in the human design community um, back in this fall, this past fall. And it was because I had expectations around what it was going to be like to engage in a human design community. And those expectations weren't met. Now, the important thing that I have come to realize and looking back, it's like, well, duh, <laughs> but it takes a moment to get there. The human design community is just like any other community. It's just a bunch of people trying to figure out what the hell is going on. <laughs> and human design is not different from a religious community or a scientific community in that sense. We are all searching and we might be a step closer to a form of peace or satisfaction or success or surprise, but we're still humans. We're still just interacting as a bunch of humans are. <clears throat> so once I was able to take that neutral, separate from the human design community and get back to my sense of neutrality, I don't feel disappointment with the human design community anymore. It's more of like, I just chuckle because I'm like, yeah, you're still human. Like You can't change that. You're still acting out your species. <laughs> but I think in terms of the wide scale of the world and thinking about earth and all of the people on earth, you know, again, going back to, I have a slant toward oppression, right? So I have this slant toward a, a negative point of view at times, but for me, it's, I could very easily like open Pandora's box and just cry the rest of the day and be stuck in bed because there's so much pain in the world. And it took me, again, part of my deconditioning process has been realizing that as a reflector, it is not my job to fix it. It's my job to see it. It's my job to maybe have an evaluation or a judgment on it, but I can't share that unless I've been asked. So regardless of how many judgments or evaluations I could have every single day, if I'm not initiated correctly to share those, I just have to hold them. And it's probably the same with like judgment sense of like, or someone who's here to correct, right? Like collective sense, like I can fix this for you and you won't ask me. And there's a depth of despair and grief in that. And I can easily access that at any point in time as a reflector of just like, turn on the news and be sad all day. That's all that you need. Um, but I'm not here to be sad all day. And so it's understanding again that those feelings, where are they coming from, right? Is it because I'm in a group that's grieving? Is it because I'm being influenced by what I'm watching on the news? Like I, I haven't watched the news in probably a year to be totally honest and when my parents or my partner turns it on and they try to show me something I'm like oh, I'm not interested because I already know that the like there are so many places in the world that's not working and I can't do anything about it so why spend my first line time trying to research that and like immerse myself in that when I'm when it's not for me you know yeah I love that and what I'm really hearing is that 
for a reflector, it's really essential to be in the right group or the right environment because, you know, in the right environment for them, you know, there's a purpose for them and it doesn't have to be fixing, but there is something there for them, you know, their reflections are asked for there and um, they have a certain like respect. And I see this in my reflector friend too, like the environments that he surrounds himself with, like he has a voice there and it is heard, you know? Yeah. Um, and people really value um, what he has to share Um, and I think that's really really important and I guess like environment is super important for each and every one of us like if we're at the wrong place at the wrong time no matter who you are you know you're not going to be able to do what you're here to do it's just as simple as that so and I know that you've been through your Saturn return a few years ago so did you notice like a shift in your environment were you experimenting with a lot of different environments do you feel like you know you're at, you're at the right place at the right time now that's a great question I I mean I did I would I moved and it wasn't necessarily far it might have been within the same city or something but I think in like a 12 year span of time I moved like 18 times right <laughs> like I moved all of the time from 18 17 to about 26 I was always once a year or every six months I was like okay I want to go here I want to try this I want to do this so it was there was definitely the reflector sampling going on and now I feel like I only move if I can tell that the place that I'm physically in isn't correct for me so in thinking about you know the human design when I started my human design experiment I was in an MBA program that wasn't correct but it was during COVID so everything was at home I loved my apartment. Like it was very hard for anyone to get me to leave my apartment. And I think if, you know, if my MBA program was still going on, let's say it was four years instead of two years, I would still be in that same apartment because that physical space was exactly what I needed. Whereas right now I'm living um, in Washington state and I don't like my apartment at all. And every week there's a conversation with my partner about like, but what if we move here or what if we go here? And my my first line natural tendency is I want to hunker down and I want to study and I want to have my place. But if it's not comfortable for me, my body is like, how do we get out as quickly as possible? And I think that's maybe the biggest change that I've noticed since Saturn return. Yeah. Yeah. And what about like your markets internal, right? How is, yeah. has that like shown up more or, you know, how do you relate to that now? I think it has, you know, I've found that even though, you know, markets is funny because it's one of those where it's like, I can go to an external market and almost almost feel as satisfied as an internal market. It's about the experience of shopping and curating, but I don't like malls, like the big malls. They make me feel sick. They make me feel claustrophobic. But if you take me to a farmer's market or you take me to, in the US, they're called strip malls where they have stores in a building that all of them exit to like an outside environment. I love those. I can be immersed in those for a couple of hours or until I lose energy, but a big mall, absolutely not. I hate it. And so when it comes to internal markets, I'm not, you know, I see like a lot of people relating markets to physical things. That's not really what I find myself buying. My first line always buys the the coaching session or the book or the, you know the whatever. Um, and so I have made a drastic shift in the last couple of years from physical books to I probably have like 
2,500 Kindle books like on my Kindle that I will never read, but that's my internal markets. It's like, what can I read this time? What can I study now? What video can I purchase that's going to teach me something, right? Um, and thankfully that can go anywhere. But again, like my current physical apartment, I can I could sit in, I have an office that I work in because I work from home sometimes. I could sit in that office and be like, oh, I'm shopping. So I'm in my internal markets. But I also have third tone for my environment, which is like, could be related to outer vision. It's not a cognition, right? But that's kind of the, the theme that it comes from. And I have two windows. One looks at a building in front of me and the other one looks at a construction site. I feel so claustrophobic in my office, regardless of what I'm doing, if it's internal markets or studying or whatever. If my outer vision doesn't have something pretty to look at or doesn't have nature to look at, it's not gonna work for me no matter where I am. So it's just interesting how the farther you go in your experiment, the more nuanced these things become. I might be internal markets, but if I can't look at something nice, I'm, it's not going to be the correct environment for me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 100%. I am mountains passive and I have feeling tone. So six yeah. tone. And it just, for me, it's, it's really strange because the kind of environments that I like, like I obviously detach distance, you know, like. Yes further away from everything and everyone like at a higher vantage point but at the same time like it has to be right for my spirit you know yeah like yeah. solar plexus binary like it it has to and again it has to be somewhere where I can go inwards like everything about my process like I have an indirect light body in a vision it's it's all about darkness it really isn't about what I'm seeing it's about what I see when I don't see and how I feel when when I'm there and what I'm picking up on because you know like the amount of information that comes at me when I am in my correct environment is immense immense and this is really funny because you know I used to I used to do a lot of energy work like in the past few yeah. years um, and I used to teach Reiki as well at one point of time, you know, and now I look at my design and I'm like, yeah, no shit, you know, like I could just get into someone's aura from my little mountaintop and I would never do, I would never do in-person sessions. I would always do distance Reiki. I would be on my mountaintop and I would tap into all of these different things. And I'm very inclined to be able to look at darkness and to be able to look at like where the energy is stuck and be able to like you know perceive all of these things and you know I used to try to teach that and a lot of my students would be like yeah I'm not seeing that or like you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I'm not getting that information can you I don't feel that way <laughs> <laughs> and now I look at my design and just laugh because it's just it's all right there and I I completely agree with you you know the more that you decondition the more that the little nuances, the substructure information starts to make sense. And I think this is something that's very important to understand that the substructure information isn't something for you to like do something with. It isn't something you can do something with. It isn't like accessible to you that way. It's just the consequences of that is something that you get to observe and you get to see you know and then the more that you see it the more evident it gets so yeah. it's really fascinating but I want to ask you a little bit more on and I know we've spoken about this in the past but inner vision cognition because I have inner mm -hmm. vision and you have inner vision yes. so 
how is it developed you know like because I'm sure it it has because mine has like the what I noticed about inner vision a yeah. year ago versus what about what I noticed about it now is has shifted completely so I'm really curious to hear about your experience with it yeah yeah so you know it's funny how there have always been systems to try to explain different experiences right so inner vision I can't remember if it's what it's like clairvoyant or clairsentient or something right you can see something when your eyes closed and I remember very specifically when I was like 11 years old I had a dream about a math class that I was in and then when I showed up the next day that dream happened like and so for the longest time I was like I'm psychic <laughs> you know like we have these assumptions about what that means and then I went from basically like 14 until mm, probably this past year feeling like that situation feeling kind of crazy for that situation being like did that really happen did I really dream if that happened like is that really a thing but in this year you know we actually started talking more because of inner vision and in the last year it's really sort of open to me and at this point i've had that happen six different times where i've dreamt something and i woke up and it happened and there was twice last week that it happened and so it's it's one of those things where to your point like learning about it my first line has studied it right <laughs> i reached out to you because i was like i want to know about inner vision i can't find resources on it my first line wanted to study it but that doesn't mean that it's going to be what we expect it to be, right? It doesn't mean that it's going to match the studies. So I haven't necessarily, I also have probability view. And so right now I'm sitting with both trying to be open to what it can mean to have both when in my head, it's like, well, I'm going to see something and it's probably going to happen. When in reality right now, it's like, I'm dreaming about something and I wake up and that thing has probably happened. So it's a very different, a very different experience or expectation. And again, to your point about, you can't force it. When I first found out about human design probably like the year after I had found out I ended up spending a month by myself in the mountains and I had just started learning about low sound determination so that whole month I didn't turn on a tv the only time I had sound on was when I was studying I wasn't listening to music I just forced myself into a low sound environment and I hated it I was like what is the point <laughs> like this is not fun I'm not having fun I feel lonely um, but a year later, I'm now sitting and when I'm at home in my apartment in Washington state, if the heater is on, it's too loud for me to eat. And I will literally turn it off in the middle of winter for a half hour so I can eat in silence because that's just what my body wants to do. And when I try to eat in loud sound environments at this point, it makes me sick. It makes me sick to my stomach if I try to. And so there's a progression that we have to go through. And I don't know, you know, my connection to inner vision has started to unlock more the less I've been in fear transference. So need motivation transfers to fear. I've spent so much of my life in fear motivation or fear transference that I'm finding that when I have stretches of not being transferred, that's when inner vision really starts to show up. It really starts to unlock and like do more things. So for instance, the live that I did a couple of weeks ago, that really like accelerated inner vision again when it had been gone for a while. And it was because I'm not afraid anymore. And then it can really just do what it wants to do. But it's such an individual experience. And I think it can be, cognition is one of those places where I feel like people try to force and put a lot of pressure and put a lot of expectation because you're like, oh, it's my secret sense. Like I want to close my eyes and see what's going to happen next. And you, you don't get to, that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it's it's not even it's strange you know because like the inner pictures for me 
And again, like you said, it's very unique for all of us. But for me, inner vision is, it doesn't always, like, I get visions even when I have my eyes open. It's amazing. Um, it, I sometimes lower my eyes and, you know, I have these, I have an inner Maya that's very alive. And let's just say that for inner vision people, it takes a while for that inner Maya to develop too, especially if you're if you're not eating correctly, if your determination is off, then your inner Maya doesn't really have a chance to develop the way that it really can. And so for me, I personally found that, and I was eating, I was eating, um, I guess I was eating lunch, but I was, I was not eating breakfast for a very long time. And then I was naturally living more and more nocturnally anyway and having heavier meals at night and like not being out in the sun like I don't like the sun I'm not about that life you know it's like post sunset is like when I wake up and like my life starts and everything right but I have found that the more I eat correctly and again it's been a process it really has like now my body will naturally want a meal at 3 a.m it wasn't something that was happening earlier but now I it is evolving too, but now I find that because I'm eating more correctly, my inner Maya is just ex- that the way that it's developing is very accelerated. Like it is, it's like new layers are of information is being added uh, at a much faster rate. And there's more like it isn't as oh, it comes and it goes. Like it's something that's becoming more and more tangible. It's something that's becoming more and more like perceivable. It's something yeah. well, it's it's there. It's not something that comes and goes. And that's really cool for me to witness now because it this is not what I thought inner vision was going to be like. You know, yeah. I in my yeah. mind, I thought it was going to be like you said, like psychic visions. So like, yeah. And that's going to happen. And it's not really like that. Like for me, my inner vision is like, it isn't really like, I don't see life events as much, you know? I don't, what I see is, am I receptive to this thing or not? So, you know, am I receptive to this person or not? Am I receptive to this food or not? Am I receptive to this environment or not? It's, that's what it shows me. Because like, for me, when the vision comes on, it's like either moving towards me and my body is like absorbing it, you know, or it's, it's my body's like, I don't, I don't want that. Like, that's not going to be a part of my Maya. It's something that exists in the larger Maya, but it's not something that, that I need to be a part of my Maya. So yeah, it's really unique and really fascinating to notice how, cognition develops and like you said like there are a lot of like contributing factors but from what I understand and from about design in general like determination is something that is going to enhance your cognition and of course being in the right environment and you have the four transformations you know it's not like um the like all of them affect each other but the primary thing is to get the design to work the form to work yes. you know like like itself so yeah. the personality has a chance and so what I, I guess I'm trying to say is that when you transfer in into into say fear motivation for you hope uh, fear transference for you and hope transference for me actually it's because the body 
like is still yeah. deconditioning from all of the conditioning that it has and so it might seem like that it's the personality that is actually stopping the inner vision but it's it's actually the form that is still deconditioning and I keep saying this again and again like deconditioning is a process like just because you just because you understand design and just because you're living your strategy in authority like your body is not in alignment it isn't healed it's actually like trying to get there and so this sort of brings me on like to a larger topic of and I love how our rightness does this by the way it's like I don't know know where I went but this is where I'm landed now (laughs) where I'm landing is that you know, the importance of understanding the the importance of slowness, like the importance, and especially for reflectors. I'm a mental projector, you know. <laughs> you get it, yeah. <laughs> but in general, you know, there's like, there's really no rush. Like, how about presence? How about actually being here now and actually being in touch with your form and your body, no matter where it is, there's no shame in that. There's really no shame in that because, you know, the deconditioning process does bring up past trauma. It does bring up difficult. It's not always like roses and sh- sunshine. And it's very it's- rarely, like <laughs> it's honestly very rarely roses and sunshine. There's a lot of work to be done, right? But yeah. it's funny. And there's a lot of like, presence that needs to be inculcated a lot of discipline that needs to be inculcated and a lot of like just joy for the process you know and I guess I'm speaking like a true mental projector because (laughs) and again it works for you too but like life is a process for all of us regardless like even if you're a um, MG like life is a process right and when when we get into our minds and you know that is where we live from then it's it's about the end goal it's always about what is this going to get me but actually deconditioning is about like settling back into just where am I now and how can I make the process most authentic for me and most real for me and how can I align myself in a way and navigate the world in such a way that the process is fun and I (laughs) that's a long-winded way of asking you um just what your process like your deconditioning process has been like and I'm more curious to hear about the the lows than the high highs (laughs) because we all understand like you know, you get your surprise, I get my success and the generators get their satisfaction and the manifestors get their peace. But what other than your not self, like disappointment theme or what other than that has come up for you that you've had to work through? And, you know, like what other than that have you realized that helps you be in the process and be actually present? Yeah, you know, one of the things, and it's one of those things, again, where you have to get through it in order to look back and laugh at it, but I really laugh at the fact that most of my process has truly been no choice, right? Thinking about my first line is a researcher. 
I've been a researcher my whole life. And once I found human design, I have not stopped. It's been two and a half years. And I, there is no choice. Like I have literally tried buying books of other things or looking up other systems. Like I tried to study the gene keys. I literally tried to force myself to study the gene keys. And my body was like, no, <laughs> we're going back over here. And I think, you know, you posted, what was it a month ago about sleeping alone and at first you know it even triggered me I'm a heretic and it's still like oh, I don't sleep alone all the time like I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing but looking back I was in a long distance relationship so I was most of my experiment I've been living alone not by choice but because my partner lived in an entirely different state and I only saw him once a week once a month and then now I have a job that has me travel four days out of a week so I still spend the majority of my weeks alone sleeping in my own aura not because I wanted to when I got this job I literally fought against it so hard I tried to network I was making myself sick trying to push myself to apply to other jobs I was like this is not the job that I want and my body would not make anything else happen no matter how much I tried to network or anything else it couldn't apply to other jobs and I was so disappointed I was so disappointed because it's not the traditional MBA job it didn't have the pay that all of my classmates had like it was such a disappointment but my body is like no we want to travel so we can have most of the time alone because that's what you're supposed to do it's no choice in how this all falls falls apart comes back together does it over and over again and I think for me the hardest thing the hardest thing for me to learn was that nobody will understand. It still makes me sad, you know, like nobody will understand what my life experience is like, because I personally have sought for so long, like you said, to be understood, to find people who can relate, to find people who can share a lived experience with me. And so the, the deconditioning process, one of the biggest sticking points for me is like the farther I go, the less people will understand, the less I'll be able to relate, the less I will care you know, about things that don't matter to me. Um, and it's it's a daily battle for reflectors, again, to understand that just because you have an evaluation about something doesn't mean that you're meant to take action on it. And for the longest time, I thought it did. I spent four years in the nonprofit space, you know, boots on the ground, working as a service provider and all these things, because I was like, I have evaluations, things aren't going right in society. I need to be there to fix it because I see what can be fixed or I, I can help in some way. And all it did was burn me out and I had to exit pretty quickly because it was making me sick and it was making me into a person that I didn't want to be. Um, and it's sad. It's so sad for me to think that like I have great evaluations to give and I'm not meant to act on them. I'm just meant to share them. And you don't know just by sharing it, even if somebody initiates that sharing correctly, you don't actually know if they're going to take action on it. Like, is it just going to fall on deaf ears and it's still going to be a problem, right? So it's, it's tough to take a step back and be like, I'm not meant to be involved. It sucks. It's not easy. <laughs> yeah, because the first thing the mind wants to do is take action. <laughs> the first yes. thing the mind wants to do. You know, it, it just wants to jump on things because that's what it thinks it needs to do in order to survive. That is how it has survived. That is how yes. seven-centered beings have survived, right? But that's not our life. We're nine-centered beings. We're here for self-reflected consciousness, right? Yes. And so... Yeah. You know, the conditioning that we have from the world that, that does involve like, oh, something has to happen because you did this thing. Like, again, this is like this conditioning is so deep within us. Like, what's yes. wrong with, you know, like sometimes I, I ask myself this, like, what's wrong with being able to see all of this and not sharing it with anyone and nothing coming of it? Like, what's so wrong with that? Like, why do we think that 
you know, we like something needs to happen through. And again, that's the truth. There's some, there's always something that's happening through us. We are the most mutative species that is there on the planet. Like we are mutating each other for sure. But, you know, sometimes it is helpful for me as well, because being a projector and being a collective projector and, you know, mental projector, I just see a lot. I just see you a do. lot. Just and you can see the structure and the idea and the wide scale impact. And that's one of the things, too, is like to this day, I still feel so much shame when things happen in the world. Like, you know, for example, the murder of George Floyd or what's going on in Ukraine or what's going on in Iran and like the Middle East. Right. I see these things. I know that they're happening. And I feel so much shame for not talking about it, but I'm not here to talk about everything. I might be able to evaluate a whole lot of stuff just naturally, but that doesn't mean I'm here to talk about it. And so even that internal dialogue, like another thing happened in the United States and I'm not sharing about it. And are people judging me because I'm not sharing about it because I share some things and I don't share other things, right? Like there are so many conversations that happen in our head that I'm hoping, you know, over time, start to lessen, start to chill out, start to go away. But it's a tough process to, to like, we're talking about not take action, know that something is happening and know that it's not for us. And that that's okay. That something's not for us to take action on. Yeah. And that, you know, like you, you know, somewhere deep. And again, like you said, it's a tough process. And, but I am finding that it is things are easing out for me a lot more in that way where it's like, yeah, like I, I have responsibility. I'm motivated by guilt. I feel a lot of responsibility. I really, really do. But I'm not responsible for everything that's on this planet. Like it's really important. Like it's important for me to feel big in a way because all my life as a mental projector, I felt really like small because like everybody else just took up so much more space than me you know like in my life is in my own life it was just it, it yeah. felt like you know my body was here to process other people's emotions and like I was just kind of here for the other which is true but I'm finding that you know now there's this feeling of like yeah I, I do feel like I exist you know like I am and at the same time I'm still a tiny little like character in the story of the evolution of potential consciousness like you know it is important to like it's important to be in there but it's also important for from from time to time to zoom out and just be like it's all gonna happen as it as it will and I'm just here to experience it and let's let's just try to enjoy the process as much as possible and, you know, learn along the way because I'm naturally too inclined to learn and conceptualize. It's just within me, right? And what you started with, like, no choice. You know, it's, it's, it's the mind can do mind things, but no choice. And I'm very fascinated by the, by the concept of no choice too, which I would love to talk more about because I think it's very widely misunderstood. Yes. What no choice really means and I'm curious to hear like what you think about it and I'm, I I would love to share like kind of where I'm at it with too but I'd love to hear what you have to say about like what no choice means for you. Totally you know I grew up Lutheran like which is a form of Protestant Christianity 
And the whole point of that was free will, right? Like, it's all like, you get to choose. You get to choose if you love God or not. And if you choose not to love the Christian form of God, then you're still going to be okay because you're not a terrible person. So I came from this background of like, everybody gets to choose and even indoctrinated in society, right? The right for marriage, the right to love who you want, the right to have kids or not, the right to everything. I think that's beautiful. <laughs> and at the same time, I cannot deny at this point that when I give my body control, it's going to do something totally different than what I thought I wanted or what the expectation was or what the goal was. And so far when I trust it, it always ends up being 10 times better than what I thought it was going to be. So a great example, it literally just happened where we were talking about reflector experiences and I wanted to talk about surprise in that moment, but we were talking and it went somewhere else. And I was like, internally, I was like, okay, I guess we're just not gonna talk about surprise, it's cool. And then later you literally asked a question that gave me an opportunity to share about surprise. That's no choice. My body, my brain was like, oh, this would be like brilliant to add in right now. And my body was like, it's not, I'm not gonna interrupt her. It's not coming up, it's not coming up, we just chill. And then it comes up later, right? I think that is the true, experience of no choice that I have now that it's something that I can laugh at it's something that I can trust in it's something that says I'm giving autonomy to say that my body knows better than my perception of reality and that it's going to be okay but it took me a long time to get there it took it was definitely triggering the first time I heard it and I was like free will above all <laughs> and now I'm like nah, but it like but is it like is it free will maybe because your body's making choices but we're aligned right we have the nodes we have a path we're going on we have a part to play and i think the i spend a lot more time thinking about the fact that like my little movie my little hd community movie that's going on in this little part of the world on the opposite end of the world there's probably an hd community that's doing their own thing like this is not the only hd community in the world and so for me to sit here and stress and like try to perceive and try to control and try to imagine or direct what's happening it's like the other part of the world doesn't care and there might be somebody there might be an exact 5-1 reflector born on my birthday that has everything that i have and they're living their own little hd movie so you're just a tiny little speck, kind of like you were talking about, just a tiny little person. And does it really matter that much in the end? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. The way that I like to think of no choice, and again, I'm only bringing this up because I see that this is missing. I'm, I'm wanting view and I want to fix it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> fix it, girl, fix it right now. <laughs> yeah. So the problem that I really see existing and the issue that people have is like they confuse decision making with choice, right? It's like they're two completely different things. We are here to make decisions and we can make decisions to align with our form or not, with our design or not, with, you know, like a pre-genetic predisposition or not right? We do have that choice. There are plenty of people that are living, you know, their not self life. They are making not self choices, not self decisions every single day. But when it comes to choice and the way that I've really understood it from Ra it is what, what I've got is like, you have a certain predisposition, you know, you have a base orientation, you have certain tones fixed in there and you have like the color, right? And you are just simply because of that, like facing in a certain direction and looking at a certain thing or moving in a certain direction and interacting with certain forces. And, you know, like 
it, it is it is in that sense like fixing you on a certain trajectory and you yeah. don't have a choice in that like you really just don't have a choice yeah you do have a choice you do have a choice in that sense of like am I going to make the decision to really like align myself with this and I say this always like my not self life felt like I was still going here like I was still headed here but I was like scratching the walls yes. as I was is going it going to be painful or is it going to be interesting <laughs> yes yeah. are you just gonna like be able to maneuver it like now I really like I think I mentioned it in, in one of the other podcast episodes also it's like I'm on a floaty in my lazy river you know every now and then like something comes at me and I kick it you know something <laughs> like it's just it's it's a whole different experience but I can really tell that I was I was always kind of headed here and moving in this direction and I have no choice simply because of the way that I'm designed I have no choice it's just an orientation that is deep within me it is not up to my mind to change that really in a lot of ways like I can struggle through it or I can have a good time through it and that's the only like decision that I get to make it isn't really a choice so it's like it's like it can seem like a choice on the surface, but actually it really isn't. And to take it even deeper, I do also, I do also realize and have, are coming to understand that you you honestly don't even have a choice in the decision making, really. Because <laughs> the more that you surrender, the more that you realize that there isn't a choice, you know. And again, only yeah. some of us are going to get to experience right. that, you know, but that's that's what I see from my experience and that's and so it isn't triggering you know like for me it was the most freeing thing I heard no choice and yes. I again you know like I'm on the cross of penetration 51 is like my personality son like I like to be shocked and so you know it, it was something that I received so well and yet when I go out in the human design community and I just see that people feel so triggered by it I just want to spread the message that you know like you're not in control like it's fine that that's the whole point of being in human design is to get out of the mind through the mind which is the most epic wild that's <laughs> wild think about this and then you'll be free but don't think about it anymore like <laughs> and it's like you can only get it when you get it and nobody is gonna nobody can tell you when or how but yeah. as long as you're committed to the experiment as long as you're committed to honoring yourself and living in integrity with yourself it's coming you know yes. is it going to be pleasant depends we'll see <laughs> we'll see no. The mind is like bleh, fighting the whole time, right? Like this mind did, you know, because I have so much openness and I have so much conditioning to work through. But at some point of time, it's just like, yeah, you're talking. Yes. Well, and I think, you know, for anybody listening who is triggered, like the question is like, what if you chose not to have a reaction to your triggering, right? You may not like what we're saying. You may have an emotional reaction or a mental reaction to it. So what would happen if you just said, look at me having an emotional reaction and you just chose not to act on that? Like, that's the whole point. It's a choice <laughs> to not act on that. But it, it is a choice that you're making. If you hear someone else say no choice is a thing and you choose to get riled up and have a suffering moment because of what somebody else said when you don't need to, 
that's the whole point of human design is like you don't need to do anything based on anybody else congratulations (laughs) and again you're only going to get it when you're going to get it and that's that is also fine (laughs) yes exactly awesome I honestly like am having such a blast but are you how are you feeling are you feeling tired how's your throat (laughs) great question I'm feeling pretty good in the sense of like, if we end now, it's good and complete. If you have more questions, I'm ready to. It's it's interesting. So Anita um, Jerva, Jerva, I think I said it rightly, uh, correctly, posts brilliant imagery and associates it with human design on her page. And just yesterday, she tagged me in a conversation or an image about the first line. And when I posted it, you know, I made some humor about like, mostly my first line is like running into walls and like tripping over things, like trying to figure it out, but someday it'll feel presentable. But when I was sitting with that, it's interesting coming into this conversation because this is the most relaxed conversation I've had about being a reflector. And all that I can say is like my first line foundation is there, which is wild. Like it's wild that this conversation isn't emotionally draining. I don't feel a lot of tension about it. I'm not worried what people are going to say, even though there might be some spicy things in it. Like it's a testament to the fact that when a first line has their foundation, like it's, it's not non-attachment, non-emotional, no choice. Like we're just there. (laughs) And you know, I may be projecting with you, but yeah, I saw the foundation. I've been seeing the foundation for a while. I appreciate that. I think maybe it takes, you know, fifth line paranoia is very real. For those who are fifth lines, in your per, in your profile in particular, there is a level of paranoia that we experience that other people don't. And so I think for me, it just takes longer to be like, okay, the walls are there. They're really there. Is it shaky here? Like, it takes me a little while to like gain that level of confidence, but I appreciate that you see it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one last question that I want to ask you before we end this because now it's in yeah. my head and I have to ask it <laughs> <laughs> do it <laughs> um I actually wanted to hear a little bit about you transferring into fear and what yeah. that feels like mentally and also does it what does it feel like physically really because you know for me being transferred to hope is it shatters me. It breaks me in in a really like, I don't think like anything impacts me as much as that because it just, to me, it just feels like I have no agency. Like I can't see anything. Everything yeah. feels like the end of the world for me. I lose, like I know how, like I know my, I, my experience of myself so clearly now of when I'm correctly motivated and hope motivation just feels like being surrounded by a dark cloud that I can't shake and it's like I have no agency I'm good for nothing Um, and it and it again it's it takes me much less time to like now snap out of that that is also something that I've noticed but it is devastating like hope motivation for me hope transference is devastating so I'm curious about what fear transference feels like for you and how you experience it? Yeah. At the most intense experience, it literally felt like my skin was on fire. Like I remember um, in Santa Fe at towards the end of the conference, um, there was an interaction with someone 
and it like I was I wasn't even physically in the room with that person but it was conversations that were happening you know over social media or text and my penta was in the room like Courtney and Ulysses were there with me and I feel safe with them but I literally had to drop my phone stand in a corner and tell them nobody touch me because my skin is literally on fire right now it felt like I was being burnt like in that physical sense that was the worst I've ever experienced it since that point fear motivation I, I I don't know if people have seen the Lord of the Rings or not but in the Lord of the Rings there's this creature named Gollum who is like in a cave and obsessive that's part of what fear, fear transference has my body or my like mind doing is I am obsessively staring at one thing I can't sleep I can't eat I can't look away and when someone tries to pull me away from that thing or pull my attention away from that thing it causes a panic attack like literally I've had panic attacks before because I'm so obsessed about this one thing um and people will try to distract me or whatever and I just you know it's tough because you just have to sit through it until whatever part of your body is like okay we're done like whether it's the lunar cycle or you know cutting off ties with somebody or whatever you have to do um but similar to you it's it's dark and it's it I have no control over what my body does. Like, not in the sense of no choice, but in the sense of my mind will keep me awake at all hours of the night. It will keep me researching things that are not important. It will keep me focused on something that doesn't need my focus in an obsessive way that isn't healthy. And that's really what fear transference feels like to me. Whereas when I'm in need motivation, it's really like, Oh, I'm so excited to listen to this lecture, but I'm getting really sleepy. So I'm going to press pause and I'll listen to it tomorrow. And tomorrow might end up being a week later, but there is no pressure from my body to be like, sit down and finish this as soon as possible, or you're going to miss out on something or you're going to die or whatever, you know, there is no, there is no force behind it. And so that's really the difference. Need motivation is like, I can take a breath whenever I want to, and it's going to be okay. And fear motivation is like, if you don't do this right now, you're going to die yeah yeah that's that's intense that's really intense experientially like to me it's like I'm a deer in headlights like it's just I just freeze and I get stuck and it's like all of the things that like like everything just comes at me and I know that there's no cognition behind this, right? This is something that's really important for us to understand and to know about that when you are transferred in your motivation, you actually have no cognition supporting any of those thoughts. So, you know, like it's 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 just random thoughts just rushing at you and you just being stuck and unable to see anything. And for someone like me, like when I'm correctly motivated, I see a lot. I see a lot like you know there's this sharpness about me and there's this like sense of yes no want to fix that don't want to fix that you know there is discernment there is like very high level of discernment when I'm correctly motivated but in hope it just feels like the amount of thoughts rushing at me increases significantly but yeah. also like my ability to discern what is good and what is not and what I need to take responsibility for or focus on it's just it's just gone and you're just you're yeah. just dead and yeah. you said something that that made me be like hmm, does do does the transit ever put you into transference have you noticed that I haven't um that's a great question 
I'm just sitting like my first answer is no like inherently my body is like that's not a thing but I think what it comes down to again is are you identifying with the transit because that's not the transit putting you in fear transference that's your reaction or your mind grasping onto whatever is happening and putting you in fear transference I can't say that for all types right because reflectors are here to experience and commune with the transit so it could potentially do that for others but I still feel like it comes down to this is a not self reaction to something happening and it's not actually the transit that is pushing somebody in that direction. I, I, I will say that, and I've talked about this on my page, there are transits that do physically impact me. So there's, it's an important distinction to say like, it doesn't put me into transference because that's a mental process. But like when my sacral is defined, whether by a person or by a transit, I am, I'm lethargic. I'm very tired. I need to rest all day. I can't get out of bed. That's a physical experience of a transit and how it's moving through my body. But that doesn't put me in fear transference. It just makes me tired. Right. So there is that difference, I think. Yeah, no, that, that sounds technically correct too. Like you said, you're very uh, much here to commune with gods and we are here to just sort of watch the program and the transit does put me into transference sometimes for sure okay it's not often but again now I don't interact with the transit field as I used to so that has changed quite a bit but yeah I did notice at the beginning of my process that that I've been in hope a lot it's (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah which is like isn't that wild, right? And thinking about deconditioning more, I always wonder like what else is going to shift? You know, like we have these awarenesses, but you don't, you're not aware of it until you look back and you're like, oh, that happened. And so I'm so curious to see how it continues to shift and change. I think honestly, my biggest fear, we're talking about fear transference, my biggest fear as a reflector is that I almost lose my personality, which I don't think is gonna happen. Cause like when I talk to Darmen or I talk to these reflectors that have been in their experiment for so long, Darmen has personality. He is so spicy. Like <laughs> I have nothing to be worried about, but the more I decondition, the more I can see what is and isn't me. And it kind of, you know, there's, there's the not self saying like, well, you have to hold on to this certain part of your identity because if you lose it, who are you gonna be? You're not gonna be anybody right? Your sense of neutrality is going to be so neutral that you literally just walk around like a zombie. It's not going to happen, but I'm curious, you know, to see how things continue to change. Yeah, me too. And I'm really excited to watch your journey along the way, because I, like I mentioned, like I really enjoy listening to everything that you shared. And I know I said I was going to ask you a lot, but can I ask Ask away? We're here for it. We're here for it. I'm so greedy, you know, like with everybody, so everybody that comes on my podcast is they're all people that I personally recognize like really deeply. And so I'm like, I want to learn from you. Can you tell me more? I, as a first line, I understand. I can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so just, I wanted to ask one thing, because I think it will be really helpful for the reflectors listening. Like when you get started with your deconditioning process, like would you recommend just following the moon and working with just that? Or would you advise them to work with the entire transit field and see how that impacts that? Because, you know, it does, it does 
define different things for different yeah. people along the way. And that can also be hindering, you know, like not hindering, but impacting them. And so, you know, the clarity could be missing if they just follow the moon. But then I know that that could also be really overwhelming. So what is it that you would recommend for reflectors that are starting out to experiment with their strategy and authority? Yeah, yeah it's just the moon. You know, I was able to expand my page to beyond the moon because I had studied the moon directly for so long. And it's once you get used to the moon, it's easy to be like, oh, the moon is in gate 10. It feels like this. Oh, the sun is in gate 10. It feels like this. Right. You naturally have connections that will be made. But we are here to specifically have a direct connection with the moon and the rest of the transits. We just kind of get to float through and experience. So. You know, that's not to say for everybody, right? There are second lines out there that are supernatural that are gonna be like, I got this, we're good, great, wonderful. But I would recommend for any reflector that's coming into the process brand new, find your way that you like looking at the moon. It could be astrology, it could be human design, it could be eaching, like pick your thing, find three months of the lunar transit and watch it for three months. Find a month behind you, find the current month and find the next month. Because again, right, first line, <laughs> foundation. But I'm always like, if you find your current month and the month behind you, you can look back and say, oh, you know, it's March 19th, February 19th. This is how I felt. Is it different? Is it the same? And then you have, when you move into the next month, you have two months to look back on and see how things have changed. That is the foundation that I would give any reflectors, like just three months, just give it three months. Don't worry about decision-making. Don't worry about, who says what and what a definition of something is just look at the moon for three months and I think any reflector would find patterns for themselves and maybe that's enough maybe all they need to see is the pattern and they're done and maybe they need to study more it from there you'll know but that that is where to start in my opinion <laughs> yeah no I love that that sounds really solid um and last thing that's <laughs> <quite>. <laughs> <laughs> promise okay with my undefined heart I'm not really here to make promises I promise. <laughs> we'll see I'll tell you there will be a point where I'm like I think I think we're good and yeah. I'll, I'll tell you <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit on like the importance of soundboarding for yes. reflective oh too um so yeah okay. do you want to speak a bit on that it's not talked about like that's another it's a frustration it's a true frustration of mine because and I don't know so here's the funny thing about my first line I literally on any given day somebody could ask me what makes a projector a projector and I could not tell you my first line really is not interested but it's interested in all things to do with reflector and what I've found in reflector readings lectures conversations is it said you need to soundboard soundboard here do the soundboarding here but it's not actually given a definition or what that means or what that looks like in a helpful way. There are so many reflectors out there that soundboard that probably enmesh themselves with someone because they don't realize that they're not soundboarding to hear somebody else's opinion. They're soundboarding to hear what they're saying, right? And so I think I didn't find a healthy person to soundboard with until I met Courtney. And it's literally like, there's a part of me that's like, if I ever lose her, I will die because I don't know who else to talk to. And I think for me, what I found is the correct person to soundboard with is somebody that does not react to what you say. Now they might have like a reaction in the moment of like, oh, that hurts a little bit or, oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way. It's not about not being human, but they are not going to feel responsible for what you say. They're not gonna feel forced to take action on what you say. They're not even gonna be forced to agree with what you say. 
they're just willing to listen and hold space. And again, it's not for someone else to hear what you're saying, it's for yourself to hear what you're saying. But nobody talks about it. It's a fundamental mechanic of reflectors and no one talks about it. So I'm so glad you asked because it drives me nuts that <laughs> nobody talks about it. I would have it. really been bummed if I like hit stop and then I didn't <laughs> ask this. Because I know it's a huge part of a reflector's process. Like. I have grown up with a reflector and we have been best. We're both port lines. We have been best friend the whole time. And like, we just talk, you know, yes. like he soundboards and I soundboard and, and we both watch like things evolve over time. And it's such a, it's such an important part of bringing us back to like connection with our body and being in touch with like what's really my truth and of course the truth evolves which I love your point of like someone who doesn't hold you to what you said yesterday or the day before that because you know for someone who has like a process-based authority and we both do it just takes time and it takes fleshing things out and you have to kind of like in the middle of soundboarding like you have to say the not self stuff you have to hear like your truth come out and it's all mixed in and it's jumbled and it almost feels like you know how like your pendant gets like rolled up or like the wires yes. rolled up and as you talk it's just kind of like nicely opening up all the knots and at some point of time it's like right there here's your clarity you know like now and now nobody can take you away from that you know because it's just so clear it just your sound is so clear to you that no force in the world can sort of take you away from that, especially when you know that, you know, there is something for you to listen to and your truth does lie in that. So I'm glad you're the only reflector who speaks about this. There are so many things that reflectors need to know. And like, I appreciate, like, I truly appreciate any reflector that's willing to even spend a second thinking about it, right? We need people at all stages. We need the 4% of the 4% and we need the people that are just there to like pass through and, and sample and move on. But man, if I, my dream, my dream, I don't know if it's gonna happen, but as Ross says, like your body does what it does. We'll see what my path is. But like, if I could be like the Brene Brown of reflectors right just pay me to research about reflectors and then pay me to go on stage and share it and then somebody else can start a program and somebody else can teach this like that's great but I just it's it's not talked about enough and it drives me batshit crazy and I think you know the other beautiful part is when you find somebody that you soundboard with they can show you patterns that you can't see yourself right so like Courtney has pointed out to me that whenever you're going through like a true lunar cycle, because not everything needs to be a lunar cycle. I might think it is, but not everything is. But when it's a true lunar cycle, she's like, there's always a halfway mark where you're like certain of your decision. And then two days later, you're like, I have no idea what's going on anymore. <laughs> she's like, I've seen you go through this multiple times. So when I am like, I'm certain, she's like, maybe just wait a couple of days, right? They're there. They can be an outer authority that can really help you stay correct to your process. So it's great. <laughs> Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. <laughs> it was so fun. Thank you for this. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I, I, I already knew like my rightness was like the second I saw you was like, that, I want to talk to that person. I want to be friends with that person. But I waited <laughs> like the true projector that I am. I waited. And I'm so glad we ended up having this conversation because I really, really enjoyed it. And I'll probably invite you back at some point because like there's so much more 
that I see that's missing and that needs to be talked about and that needs to be fixed. Yes. Well, and for me, you know, in true first line fashion, I'm always like, what if you recorded a conversation with someone and then like a year later you did the same conversation, you know, like they do these with celebrities. I think I've seen Billie Eilish's, you know, five-year video or whatever, but it's, it's my first line is like, but I want to have the data to like, see how it changes over time. So I would be happy to continue the conversation. <laughs> awesome. You know, I'm all up for taking it slow and waiting. So it's all good. <laughs> Whenever it happens, it happens, but I really, really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you for this space. I appreciate it. And I can't wait to see all of the heresy that you come forward with as we go on. <laughs> awesome. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>